This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your tablet, smartphone, and desktop. Support the show and get a free audiobook of your choice by visiting audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Follow Standard Orbit, Mr. Chekhov, and take us in. I said... Is the word of Landru. Joy to you, friends, and thanks for joining us here in Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated show to the original series. My name is Drew, or Landru, and this is my co-host Mike from Commentary Trek Stars. Hello. Hey. Hey. So this is a special episode. We're not going to talk so much about an existing movie or, or existing uh, episode. We're going to talk about the theoretical 50th anniversary movie, that has been thrown into turmoil over the the last couple days as we're recording this. Yeah, I mean, I guess another way to put it is breaking news. You know, it's not not too often that the original series gets breaking news, but uh, we've got it this week, so we're going to discuss just like every other movie podcast. So, Right. Yeah, and Star Trek podcast. We get to do this. To the Journey doesn't get to do this, do they? No, no, no Voyager news. No, We're sorry. no Voyager news. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't see the orb doing this. Do you? No, no, no Deep Space Nine news. Original series, the first and the uh, longest living. Yeah, fifty going on fifty. Let's go. All right, all right. So we should probably break the news to those who didn't hear it when you're hearing this episode last week. Yes, yes. If you haven't heard the news yet, then. Really, why are you listening to this show? I'm just curious. To get old <laughs> news, obviously. Okay, okay, all right. We're talking about a 50-year-old show. This is just... Yeah. This is... Yeah. Even if it's a week old, it's still new news. I guess so. Rel- relatively speaking, yeah. It is pretty new. In a huge way. Yeah. <laughs> Exponentially new news. <laughs> anyway, Roberto Orsi has been removed... Or has has left the project it's, of Star Trek thirteen slash three. Yeah, no one really knows at this point whether he left or whether he was removed. Sla- we could call it the uh, the new search for Spock. Hmm. Mm, yes, the new search for Spock. Too Spock, too furious. Yes. Right. Because they're two Spocks. Yes. Oh man. Oh. They need to do that now. Now they need. Well, to if they're throwing out the script, mm-hmm. we're on the inside track. Star Trek Three: Two Spock, Two Furious. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Paramount, hire us. We're cheap. We can write oh, this yeah. script for you. We've already got a title. That's the most important part, right? That's how exactly. movies work. And we know exactly how to market it. We've got Vin Diesel mm-hmm. as a third Spock for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have the rock show up in the end credits. Yeah. And he's forming an Avengers initiative or something. And yeah. then Yeah. Then we've got a whole new Star Trek cinematic universe. <laughs> I'd be down with that. Which we already have. Any anyway, let's get back <laughs> to real news. So yes, Roberto Orsi is no longer directing uh Star Trek three D. Star Trek thirteen. Um and uh, they don't really know anything else at this point. I mean, it's quite possible by the time that 
this episode drops, everything will be in place and we'll know everything. But as of um, 11.24 a.m. Central Time on Sunday, December 7th, uh, we, we don't know much more than what we're saying right now. But he's gone. We have a lot of speculation. Yes. <laughs> he's gone. He's apparently staying on as a producer. Uh, which could mean any number of things. It could mean something as much as he's overseeing the project still, or it could mean something as little as, like, they're contractually obligated to list him as a producer because of all the work that he's done on the show thus far, you know? Mm -hmm. It could be like how Patrick Stewart and Brent Spiner are producers Mm -hmm. on, you know, I don't think they threw any money at it, but it's just like... You know, I won't be in your movie unless you have me as your Right. It could be producer. like Jan DeBont being a producer on Minority Report, where Steven Spielberg said Jan DeBont didn't have anything to do with this movie. But he had developed <laughs> what, a just previous pay enough version. money? Yeah, oh, okay. he, he developed a previous version of the movie. He was going to direct Minority Report, and then he didn't, but he still he had didn't. it in his contract. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so producer credits are always weird. They can mean anything. So... But we have to assume that if he's staying on as producer, he's producing it. He's the guy. He's the Rick Berman of the thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, so with that in mind, what what else does this mean? You know, I guess first and foremost, what does it mean for the script and the story, which yeah. which is in place? Now, Badass Digest, who they're the ones who scooped the uh, Shatner. Um, involvement with this with this thing which i'll be honest made me uneasy okay uh, i was i was okay with it you know i mean it's one of those things it's be. like it's like well yeah i mean first off if you have a chance to put william shatner in your movie you put william shatner in your movie these are absolutes <laughs> you know but secondly like just like kind of like like what what i've been saying with ben affleck as batman this whole time you know where people are like, what? What are you doing? It's like there are three bajillion Batman incarnations. We have absolutely no idea what they're doing. Ben Affleck could be the absolute perfect choice or the absolute worst choice, and we won't know until we see it. Same thing with Star Trek. You can have William Shatner in your movie in any number of billions of ways. It all depends on how they get him in there, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, people could say like, oh, well, you know... uh, we should be moving forward, not back, and whatever. But whatever, it's Shatner, so I'm okay with it. Yeah, and could, it's the 50th anniversary. Yeah, they could days of future past him back into existence. Yeah, they could do anything. And uh, what Devin Faraci over at Badass Digest has now revealed, his sources have told him, which you know, there's no reason not to believe him since they're the ones who apparently. Uh, leaked info that Shatner was going to be in the movie in the first place, he said that the idea for the film was the Enterprise, the Vulcans, and a new alien race are competing to get a time travel device. The Vulcans want to go back and stop the destruction of their planet, and the time travel shtick is what would allow Chris Pine and William Shatner to share the screen. So now the question, of course, is... um, whether or not that's still what they're planning on doing. Mm-hmm. And Farachi is hearing that they're throwing out the old script. Like the, the, 
the story was one of the main sticking points with the studio. They didn't like the direction that it was going in or something like that, and they're getting rid of it in favor of something new. But there's that ticking clock, you know? Yeah. How new is new? And 2016 is right around the corner. Can you start from scratch? Do you say, I don't care about 2016? I don't think Mm. you you can't. I mean, like, Larry Nemechek was on Twitter, and he's like, there's way too much at stake, way too much money at stake for them to not do something big for the 50th anniversary, you know? I keep thinking, well, they could release the original versions of the... Oh, wait, that's Star Wars. (laughs) Well, they could release the special editions of the Star Trek movies. There you go. Yeah, Yeah. like... uh, was that Robert Meyer Burnett was on Twitter saying how uh, they should remaster the motion picture director's cut in IMAX 3D and have that be like a lead-in at least, you know, like a promotion. He would. He said that if he became director, he would call that part of the uh, promotion budget. To do... Star to Trek remaster the, mo- the director's cut of the motion picture as advertising for the new movie. Okay. He would just roll it into the production into the production budget of thirteen. Hey, if you can, if you have the power to do that, then you do that. Releasing it in IMAX 3D, I think that might be going a little too far. I don't know if you got those shots working right. You know, I would be okay with staring at a 3D model for two hours and fifteen minutes, or however long the movie is. Would Robert Wise want you to stare at a 3D model? I don't, I don't know. That's the. <laughs> That's the question to me anyway, and I think the answer is, I don't know, because he's dead. So let's stop tinkering with his movie. Let's just get a really high-quality version. Sound of music in 3D, that would work. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) What were we talking about? Oh, yeah, the script. The script. So, yeah, so what do you do? Do you throw it out? Do you not? I mean, it seems like all logic would suggest that they would take the pre-existing script and modify it into something which they can use now. But yeah. but it's not like there's uh, it's not like there's a want of Star Trek scripts out there. Every I'm guarantee you that every single writer out there has a spec script for a Star Trek movie. Sure, but I mean they've been working on this script for like over a year now. So how quickly can you piece this one together i mean thinking like alien 3 and stuff they started shooting without a script we could get everybody on set pull a jaws and write it over the weekend you know it's weird i mean sometimes you can do that and maybe that's what's going to happen i mean well look at at uh, the end of next generation you know where they spent like a year writing generations and they're like oh my god and then they write all good things in like a day and they're like this is the best thing ever what the hell how did that work out you know <laughs> and i wouldn't be surprised if if that's something that happens here i mean i keep on thinking back to the making of star trek 6 the undiscovered country which was for the 25th mm. anniversary where they had a hard release date you know and they couldn't deviate from that date and they pulled that movie together super fast now yeah i mean like someone you know i was talking about this on twitter and and someone was saying like this movie you know is a bit more complicated there's a lot more moving parts and that's certainly true 
I'm sure that post on this movie would take a lot longer than post on Star Trek Six. Mm-hmm. But still, you know, in terms of like getting a script together in that time, like you're saying, there's a lot of people out there who have been thinking about what their dream Star Trek movie would be for years. I don't know. I mean, do you remember way back in the day, we're talking like right after Into Darkness came out, the first bit of uh, news that came out in terms of Star Trek Thirteen was that um, Zach Stentz and Ashley Edward Miller were working on the script. I don't remember that. It it only lasted for like a day. And like they never commented on it. And, um, oh, well, you know, Robert Meyer Burnett, who uh, is, I, I guess, friends with them, you know, he, I remember him getting on Twitter and being like, I can't believe that people are making such a big deal out of this, you know, quote-unquote news for this movie, which you may or may not be writing. You know, that to me sounded like it wasn't a done deal at all. Mm-hmm. I, I know that there were, like, competing teams which were trying to get the job. I'm wondering if they might have been one of the teams. Maybe they had a proposal out, and in the end they ended up going with, you know, Orsi and... or 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 Payne and McKay, and Orsi was probably going to write with either one of the teams, you know? Mm-hmm. Kind of like what happened with Generations, where you had Maurice Hurley doing a script, and then Braga and, and Moore doing a script. But I don't know. So who knows? Maybe they'll be like, you know what, let's go with their idea. Then again, those guys are busy now. They're, they're making Terminator movies and stuff. I don't know. So what do you think about the script? I mean, this concept that we just learned from Badass Digest. I think it's weird. You know, it was like sort of like there was this instant reaction where people were like, oh, my God, I am so glad that that's not happening anymore. I know like uh, Matt Rushing was just like, whoa, oh, no, 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 no. We can't do this, you know. And my reaction was kind of like, it seems like we just did this. You know, isn't that kind (laughs) of what Star Trek 09 is? I mean, who knows how they they would go about it and everything like that. There's a lot of people who were like, that's not a five-year mission. But, I mean, to me, it's like, why not? Yeah, it totally can be, you know? It's not like they haven't done these stories in in the original series and stuff. It could be part of the five-year mission and they find the Guardian of Forever. It could be that. It could be, yeah. I mean, they're out there. They come across this thing, you know? I mean, Why is everything we don't know called a thing? (laughs) You know, I mean, that's that's quite possible. You know, the idea of going back, you know, some people are saying like, oh, well, if if Vulcan goes back and become or if the Vulcans go back and save Vulcan, then you essentially erase the last two movies and that would be cool. And uh, yeah, I I don't I would not be down with that. But um, so they travel to the future. And then stop Nero from going back in time to begin with, ooh, which ooh. sets the entire timeline back to the prime timeline. Oh, man. And then you could do a But they wouldn't be able to. The- I just watched all the Back to the Futures. They wouldn't be able to travel from their point to the future where Nero would exist because Romulus will have not exploded because of... The- oh. Well, yeah, you're right. That wouldn't work. Although Back to the Future is really fast and loose with that. You know, sometimes it's okay and sometimes it's not, you know? Yeah, which is which is why Max 
hates that movie, <laughs> which is insane. <laughs> <sighs> but um, but yeah, no, you're right. They couldn't go forward in time to stop Nero. But if they could, then you could bring in the next generation people. Oh, yeah. And then Earl Grey then would have breaking news. So they go into the future. Okay, they go into the future to stop Nero, which brings in the next generation crew. Somehow they mess up and Kirk shoots out of the Nexus again. Mm. So then we've got we've got Kirk, because it was just an image that left the Nexus and died. Because that's silly that he would be able to leave the Nexus and travel through space and time. <laughs> So another image of Kirk or something shoots out of the Nexus. Then we've got Kirk and Picard and New Kirk and Cisco and Janeway. Mm-hmm. And then out of the blue, here's Scott Bakula. He came out of nowhere. And then we've got well, he, all he, he, six he, he jumped into someone else's body. and then that... Yes, exactly. Yeah. But we see it from our point of view where we can tell that it's Scott Bakula. Yeah. yeah. It's Scott Bakula as Captain Picard. There you go. I'm sure that this is probably the direction that they're going in, right? It's the only thing. The only thing that would bring justice to the 50th anniversary. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't think that that's going to happen. No. The the thing, when I first heard this this Vulcan traveling through time thing, uh, it reminded me of uh, Burns Schneider, the guy who runs Ex Astris Scientia. Uh, his big complaint about one of his big complaints about 2009 was... The fact that no one, everybody was like, oh, Vulcans exploded because of somebody who time traveled. And no one's like, couldn't we time travel and like stop this from happening? Because this is the greatest disaster that's ever happened, you know, outside of the doomsday machine. And his big thing is that, you know, nobody is trying to use time travel. So, I mean, this kind of does, it kind of calms some people who have a big problem with the characters in this universe. But... I don't know. It just that, doesn't fit for me as a movie. Is that really a thing, though? I mean, to me, I, I never really thought like... I mean, you could say that for all of Star Trek. It's like, why don't we just go back in time and fix it? And it's like, yeah, that's not... So they don't assassinate the Chancellor. Okay, I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, it's like, you that's you don't do that. That's taboo. That's, you know, the temporal prime directive, right? Yeah. I mean, But it's... then we get these comics where these same versions of these characters will get onto the canosity of the comics. But, uh, you know, like we just talked about Vulcan's vengeance and, you know, these Vulcans are willing to bend the rules in that they're willing to blow up Romulus to stop a disaster. That's not going to happen because it already happened. Sure. Sure. But that's not like the Federation that, you know, I mean, right. But it doesn't say that it says the Vulcans in another race and I'm sure the Federation's trying to stop them. Okay. But, if you're telling stories about a group of characters who wouldn't do that, then I, I don't think that you feel you should feel obligated to address it. Okay. You know? No, I don't. <laughs> like, okay, so so yes, there are, let's say, Vulcans out there and crazy people who are like, we need to go back in time and do this. We should mm-hmm. try to do that, right? But that's not, like, Kirk isn't saying that. Spock isn't saying that. It's like that's somewhere else going on and... Maybe there's another ship which is dealing with those people, you know. Okay. And unless they actually do it, it doesn't have any impact on the story which we're watching. You know. So what I mean? you, uh, you, you, you are actually of the opinion that there are other ships in the quadrant. 
<laughs> I was, whether there's, the there's other ships in the quadrant or not. What? I mean, if there's a dude on Vulcan and he's like, we should totally do this. And he's like in his apartment and he's got his, you know, tinfoil hat on or whatever. And he's trying to figure out a way <laughs> to go back in time and stop Nero. I mean, that really doesn't have anything to do with Kirk and Spock who are, you know, dealing with Khan trying to... um uh decimate the fleet and everything it stands for or whatever it is um i mean but let let's be honest tinfoil hat wearing vulcans is right up orshi's alley right that's true that's true it is (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so okay so this idea where do you approve or not of the of the idea yeah. Of the the script that the might get thrown out based on the I, one sentence. Uh, based on the one <laughs> sentence, I'm not completely fond of it. But I also know that you could take one sentence out of any plot for pretty much any movie. Yeah, and it would be it would sound like the worst idea of all time. Right, and when and I heard that I that this source apparently is or the source or the, or the guy who wrote the article is negative against the whole idea of Orsi anyway. Dev- so yeah, the guy- he, he might have picked out the bad points to harp on. Oh, yeah. The, the, the guy who wrote the article is a very, very well-known Orsi hater. You know, he okay. does not like Orsi as a person. He does not like Orsi as a filmmaker. He is a very big Star Trek fan who feels that Orsi has destroyed the franchise and uh he's also um someone who will sort of take headlines and make them into things which sound very sort of sensational um mm-hmm. like for example the name of this article is star trek 3 may be saved as orsi exits okay yeah so this isn't exactly reveal like your bias yeah it's not it's not exactly the most um unbiased journalism in, in the world but that's so i'm imagining that the description is probably biased that's that's what i'm thinking you know that's definitely what i'm thinking i mean this is one of the guys who sort of like if if you ask me based on the interaction which i saw i think he's one of the people who was sort of responsible for running lindelof off of twitter like there were like when when Into Darkness came out, he was just like pummeling like Lindelof to the point that at one point Lindelof finally actually tweeted, "Devin, I get it. Please stop." You know, oh, I mean, man. like this guy, yeah, that's his thing. I mean, that's that's the way that the website is 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 you know structured and everything like that. That's kind of like his 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 thing, and uh, but when you're dealing with news you know which i mean the news that he gets is legitimate you do kind of have to sift through the bias for sure you know Mm -hmm. so so that's that's kind of the situation that we're in who knows how accurate um or how uh you know um representative of whatever this script is um is presented here you know in this article so yeah so, so of that one sentence, I don't care for it. Yeah, but who knows what the other 120 pages would have been like? Exactly. Yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty much in agreement with that. And even with the one sentence, I'm like, well, I could totally see that working. Although it does seem a little um, weird 
to want to go back to time travel. I mean, the whole yeah. point of Star Trek 09 was to reset the timeline so that you could basically do a, a soft reboot of the series and tell these stories without having to worry about all the baggage that comes with continuity. And now here you're just dragging continuity back again and again and again. Unless the whole point was to kill the JJ-verse. Maybe, but is the guy who essentially created the JJ-verse really going to want to kill it? Well, look at how people are trolling him and his friends about it. I guess so. I mean, mate, they're leaving Twitter, they're upset, or she's already been in trouble for yelling at fans and stuff. Yeah. I mean, maybe this... Maybe that's what it is, is that he was trying to sink his own version of the franchise, and maybe Paramount was like, no, 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 and threw him out. Maybe. I doubt it, though. I really doubt it. I just yeah. can't I, I mean, just it's can't just see. A, this yeah. is just a crackpot theory I just came up with. So. <laughs> or she would be proud. Or she would be proud. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So so now now the other the other side of this is, well, who's going to direct it? Right, mm-hmm. and uh, according to Mike Fleming at, at Deadline, who's the guy who broke the story, uh, the, there's a short list at Paramount, and one of the names on that list is Edgar Wright. Edgar now, Wright. this is very sneaky of them. Yes, Edgar Wright, of course, is the guy who directed Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, um, Scott Pilgrim, World's End. Yeah. He was going to direct Ant Man until he was asked to leave. Right, which is a in big, a similar yeah, it's a similar questionable circumstance. It's it's that's a very big piece of the puzzle here. He also directed Don't. Did you ever see that? Don't what? Don't. <laughs> no, I'm, I, did, I'm not even familiar did, did with you, the concept. You ever see Grindhouse? Okay. Did you see it? No. Okay. No. Well, it, it, in Grindhouse, in the middle, in between the two movies, they had people come in and make fake trailers for fake movies. I've heard of these trailers, like, yeah. Machete was one of them. And they had, uh, it was him, uh, Eli Roth did one, um, Rob Zombie did one, but the one that uh, Simon Pegg did was Don't. Edgar Wright. That's what, There you go. Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. His was Don't. And it's like, like kind of like a haunted house movie. It's like, don't go down the stairs. <laughs> don't open the door. Don't you know? And and then it just keeps on doing that, and to, and it keeps on like ramping up. It's like don't 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 don't. And then like at the end, <laughs> like where the release date comes up, instead of saying coming soon, they just say don't. It was good. <laughs> Check it out. Anyway, I will. <laughs> so um, will he? Will he direct it? Will he not? I don't know. This 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 is very interesting. In that that so the whole news was broken on like a Wednesday afternoon after all the shops have closed no 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 or friday afternoon friday yes it's a taking out the trash i was just watching this episode of west wing like literally that day where they explain (laughs) the concept of posting all of the news stories which you don't want people to talk about on friday night so that people will just not (laughs) deal with them (laughs) and i'm like this is they just took out the trash they just took out the trash Hey, that's awesome. Same thing happened with Ant-Man, by the way. It, they oh, they yeah. did that on a Friday night. Well, see, I think that Paramount learned from the Ant-Man thing was that uh, we had, you know, Edgar Wright kicked off Ant-Man. And everybody's like, oh, why? Who's going to replace him? Oh, what? No. But then for this one, 
they immediately leak well, Edgar Wright's in the running. Like yeah. they're they're immediately putting a positive spin on it. So that's what we should be focusing on. That's true. Is that well, imagine an Edgar Wright Star Trek movie. You're right. Instead of being like, what's gonna happen? We're all gonna die. <laughs> you're right. You're right. That's you know, I didn't even think about it that way, but it totally makes sense for them to do that. Whether or not he even is involved, if you throw his name out there, then there's that glimmer of hope that this thing won't be a total disaster. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm always curious, like whenever this happens, now that we have social media and everything like that, and people are like, Edgar Wright is in the running. I always make a very, very um, big point of checking those dudes' Twitter feeds to see what they're talking about. Because lots of times you'll see like, he'll be like, I just saw this amazing movie. I'm going to the new Beverly Cinema. It's amazing. Oh my God, New Orleans. I'm in New Orleans. There's, I'm eating at this wonderful restaurant. And then all of a sudden this news drops and then it's like, nothing is tweeted for hours. You know what I mean? So like, I've been trying to like pay attention to that and see like, because you know that everyone, and he's responding to people who are like, Hey man, did you see the Baba Duke? And he's like, Yeah, yeah, I saw the Baba Duke. It was awesome, you know. And and like he's responding to people, but you know that the overwhelming majority of tweets to him are, "You're directing Star Trek three? Are you directing Star Trek three? <laughs> and he doesn't say anything about it, you know. Hmm. I mean, if he if it wasn't true that he was at least being considered, you would think he'd just be like, "I'm not directing Star Trek three. Are you guys crazy?" Or no one said anything to me about it. You know, that sort of thing. Like the whole no one has said anything to me about it. Right. But the fact that he hasn't commented on this at all makes me think that there's some truth to him at least being considered. And there's some truth to... And and that he hasn't turned them down flat. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So what does that mean? I don't know. (laughs) Now, I mean, it is kind of weird because, you know, we brought up Ant-Man. Now, I'm sure most people know that he had spent years and years, like eight years developing Ant-Man, and like a month before they were going to start shooting, maybe less than that, he left the project because of creative differences, you know? So now the idea of him jumping on a project that someone else has left, you know, for creative differences, that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, what's yeah. his relationship with these people? I mean, he's friendly with Bad Robot. Simon Pegg, I mean, that's his boy, right? Right. Which, you know, I, there's been a couple people online who have said that if Edgar Wright does direct this um, at some point, someone's got to go up to Simon Pegg and say, like, you got red shirt on you. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's clever. Cute. It's funny. cute, yes. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I like Edgar Wright. I like his style. I like his comedy and stuff. But so far, we've only seen him do like not genre parodies, but uh, I don't know if pastiche is the right word, but kind of like a, a you know, let's make a film in this genre, pointing out the flaws in this genre while while sticking with it. I don't think we've seen anything because I haven't seen the trailer for Don't, which <laughs> sounds like a a it's, horror it's, movie kind of thing yeah. like that anyway. <laughs> so it's like we've not seen his I mean his style is all quick cuts and zooms and and you know repeated themes 
you know, like uh, things at the beginning of the movie play into the end of the movie. I mean, but that's just the Cornetto trilogy. Outside of that, we don't really have much except, you know, something based on a, a graphic novel. We, we don't have like a, a regular plain old movie. And even Ant-Man could have been that for the superhero genre. Mm-hmm. But uh, you can't really make a mainstream Star Trek movie, It, especially the 50th anniversary movie, if this is supposed to be a big deal, to have it be like a, a, a comedy. I mean, at least he's directed movies, so he makes me feel better than or she did. Uh-huh. Or directed anything at all. So so he does make me feel better than Orshi did when Orshi was announced, but other than that, I don't... I'm I'm not sure. I mean, I see what you're saying, um, but I think that uh, the thing that you see with Wright's work is a number of things. One is uh, there's a certain amount of versatility there. You know, he, he isn't just, like, stuck in one genre or anything like that. Second especially visually, he definitely has uh, a talent for it. You know, he's got mm-hmm. an eye. And the third thing about that, even though he does make these kind of like comedy slash sort of parody things, he does it straight. Like there's there's no point where you're like, he's imitating a style that someone else did and he's just kind of doing it badly or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. it's like his movies stand up on their own as like legitimate, you know, action movies for the most part, even if they right. are, you know, making fun of or, you know, parody. They parody the genre. They don't like parody shots from right a particular movie, like scary movie or whatever. Yeah. All of that, the fact that he's obviously got a, a, a strong love for the material. I mean, if you look at Spaced and stuff like that, makes me think that, he could totally do this, you know? I mean, they all say, what, you know, comedy is harder than drama. So mm-hmm. I, I definitely think that he could pull this off, you know? Um, would he be my first choice? Maybe not. Um, but I would, if they said, like, Edgar Wright is doing this, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's get him and, and Simon Pegg to, to do a draft on the script and make it the fourth film in the Cornetto trilogy. Yes, that's what I want. Yeah. So Nick Frost comes in as Harry Mudd. Oh my god. Oh, it's there you go. Oh man. I think we just blew this wide open. <laughs> yes. Okay. So so here here's my question. I got two questions for you. Um okay. I guess theoretically to to wrap this up. Given the the limitations and everything like that and and thinking about this as a studio head or whoever, you know, in in real world scenarios who would you want to direct this movie i i honestly don't know i i kind of want jj back to to round out but the that's, trilogy. that's not real world though because uh, he, he, he's we know that he's off the table i don't know the the frakes idea kind of it, it would be interesting to 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 bring one take frakes into into the the jj verse yeah that's actually something that I said when they were looking for a director the first time around. I'm like, Frake seems like an ideal choice. You know, you're looking for someone who's coming in, you know, someone with TV directing sensibilities seems like the way to go. Like the guy who I always said, the guy who I was predicting was Jack Bender, who mm-hmm. uh, worked on like uh, Lost and stuff like that. And 
I'm like, he's he seems like he's the guy who's just about ready to make the jump into the big screen. You do it with Bad Robot. He's worked with J.J. a bunch, Jack Bender. That was my guess, mm-hmm. you know. And I, hey, hey, that could still happen, you know. If that happens, yeah. I'm I'm gonna be like, oh my god, I called that like a year ago. But <laughs> I, I don't think that's gonna happen. But you know, Jonathan Frakes to me fits that mold, you know. And he's got the Star Trek thing going. First Contact was rather progressive and everything like that in terms of you know movie making and and everything and. And uh, I could totally see Jonathan Frakes working. I'd be okay with that, too. And, you know, even if you judge his past movies, he's probably learned a lot in the intervening time. So it's not like we can... Yeah. Yeah. You know... Yeah. It it, it could work. It could work. Yeah. Um, For me, if I had to pick someone, you know, realistically speaking, I would probably go after Rupert Wyatt, who is someone who they were looking at originally um and i think he just didn't want to do it or whatever but he's the guy who direct directed uh rise of the planet of the apes mm. and that to me seems like a really good fit you know he obviously shows that he can take classic science fiction and update it for the modern era um in a way which can satisfy today's audiences as well as fans of that franchise Mm-hmm. Um and uh, he's got like a, a pretty good track record. Everyone's saying that his new movie is really good. So, hey, Rupert Wyatt, I can that that would probably be my realistic pick. Oh, here, wait, no, I got mine. Okay. Stuart Baird. There you go, Stuart Baird. <laughs> you know, <laughs> give him another shot. Let's see what happens. Let, let him re remake Wrath of Khan again, again. Yes. Yes. Okay, Stuart Baird. All right, let's do that then. <laughs> okay, so now, um, if you ha- could have anyone in the world, no, n- whatever, you, you had your pick of anyone to make the new Star Trek movie, who would it be? Hmm. For some reason, uh, I, I'm, uh, for some reason, Spielberg jumps to mind. Yeah. Uh, I I think he's got the he still has the idealism mm-hmm. that that might make the movie uh, you know wide eyed and wonderful again. Sure, I mean the characters are literally going to be wide eyed and staring off into the middle distance a lot, <laughs> but uh, it, it will be interesting to see him take on a franchise like that. Yeah, I agree. My pick would be Paul Thomas Anderson. Well, no your pick would be doubt. Paul Thomas Anderson. My, Paul, my pick would be Paul Thomas Anderson for everything. He's never done a franchise movie. He's never done a big studio movie. I want to see what he can do with that money. I want to see him have fun like that. And, hey, you know, he's tied in really tight with Megan Ellison, whose brother is the guy who runs Skydance, who produces these movies. Why oh. not? Why not? He doesn't have any other movies lined up that we know of. He's just coming off of two movies, which he spent years and years trying to get made. Uh, you know, he's probably in a, a decompression mode. Take on a big studio picture. Make it <laughs> Star Trek. If they're like, Paul Thomas Anderson's coming on to direct Star Trek, do you know how 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 much that would just, like, I don't know what I would do. I don't I I I I don't know how I would react to that. I would just I would just be like, "What? What?" I don't think anyone I, in the world would know how to react to that. 
and you actually <laughs> predicted it if it did come true. I didn't predict it. I don't think it's going to happen at all. I know, but, but if it did, we could oh call it a prediction. Oh my God, that would be the most amazing thing ever. But it's not going to happen. No. Anyway, <laughs> so that's that. Exciting stuff. The next few weeks are going to be really interesting. Yep. Mm-hmm. It has the potential of uh, of being, well, it has the potential of being anything at this point. Yep. Yep. It's exciting. As long as it happens. Yep. All right. It was fun talking about the, the future possibilities in Star Trek today, but that's just one of the Trek topics we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere around the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. And and so I was biased against it. it even when I started buying the, the two-disc collector's edition DVDs, I avoided buying any of the even-numbered movies. Odd-numbered Odd movies. Numbered movies. <laughs> Earl Grey. Like uh, like they stated in the end of the movie, you know, they thought he'd outlive all of them. And I'm like, yeah, that's what should have happened. We should have seen Data, like, in the, you know, 26th century, like, Data 5.0, whatever we call him. To the journey! You don't know if she's going to stab him or smooch him. She's going to smooch him, of course, after dessert. <laughs> After dessert. We all know what dessert means. Warp 5. Along with technology and along with trying to study the origins of a lot of different things that we've come to know in, in the original series and beyond, it's hard to try and deconstruct it without insulting what has come in all of the things that we know of being Vulcan Mind Melt. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. And my thought was, in the next scene, Crusher should have the body of the dead Klingon sitting on the back of her toilet holding a candle. You know, <laughs> which she would only get to do after Lieutenant Yara's gotten to hold the dead Klingon up to her ear to see if she can hear the ocean. Commentary, Trek stars. Everything you would imagine would be in an opening title sequence for this show is in there. I think the shot that really does it for me, the shot that really pulls everything together is when he dunks the basketball. <laughs> Melodic tricks. So we do know an awful lot of people get associated with Vic Fontaine. He name drops to the nth degree about all the famous people that he hangs with. One of whom is Frank Sinatra. Axinar, the official podcast. When there's a possibility for something to be misunderstood or um, not clearly explained, it can potentially open up a big hole for a show because people can end up going down a path that was actually not what somebody wanted to be done. The 602 Club. What are those Bond movies that you go back to time and time again because they just do it better? Uh, first of all, Matthew, nobody does it better. That's true. Uh, it makes um, me feel sad for the rest. <laughs> 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 and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and get in on the Daily Trek Talk. You find them on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and anywhere else you can get a podcast. Or you can stream directly from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash podcast to get all the links. We have some feedback here from Brad Alexander in Virginia. He says, thanks guys. Balance of Terror is one of my favorite TOS episodes. I'm a sucker for both space combat and submarine stories. A few things I noticed in the commentary slash episode that I wanted to share. 
First, the phasers in the original episode were actually the photon torpedo effect, which would make more sense as they would be better proximity explosions, like depth charges. In the remastered, they were blue beams, likely because they kept referring to them as phasers. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that, that that's true. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that that is... That is they just the, used the, the wrong word, idea. and then when it got into post-time on, on the... Uh, Remastered, they were like, ah, I'm sure that um, <laughs> Dave Rossi and Mike Okudo and, and Denise Okudo were like, I'm we'll make them phasers. Cause I, could, I could see this phasers. being the the Mike versus Dave, yeah. Denise, <laughs> like, guys, guys. Yeah, yeah. He continues, if you look closely at the scene where the Romulan plasma torpedo is coming in and they're running away from it, when Ran asks about whether she should continue the log entries as the torpedo finishes its run, Kirk actually wraps both arms around her. You can see it as the torpedo hits and they fall away from the railing. More of that forbidden love mm-hmm. that dare not continue. <laughs> He continues, the tactic of jettisoning refuse from the tubes actually comes from World War II submarines. This just strengthens the destroyer versus U-boat symbolism of the episode. In order to try and invade the destroyer, the sub would release floatable debris and dump fuel, which would float to the surface as an oil slick, which would happen if they had been sunk, hinge Spock's comment about insufficient mass. Now, in space combat, one would presume that the ship would decloak as the cloaking device lost power and all the debris would be visible. So, yeah, it was kind of like, oh, we s- just these pieces of us, the rest of us sunk <laughs> invisibly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that's something where, uh, you know, I'm sure that he's right that they were trying to make the analogy between that and, uh, you know, submarines and everything like that. But that one maybe didn't work as well as they had hoped. Yeah. But it's the thought that counts. Brad finishes, you really don't see the direct sub versus destroyer analogy again until Star Trek VI when the tracking torpedoes at the Enterprise fires to destroy Chang's bird of prey. And why don't they have torpedoes that track in later series? Good point. And then later you see some of it with the Defiant when she is a cloak, like the way all the bridge lights go down when they're cloaked, which is the coolest effect in the world. Yeah. Anyway, I really enjoyed this episode and your commentary of it, B. Thanks, B. We we do appreciate you listening for sure. Um, yeah, it sounds like you know a lot more about uh, Balance of Terror than we do. So it sounds like it knows a lot about submarines. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So sorry, <laughs> sorry that we weren't um, as enlightening as we could have been. But uh, thanks for listening, nonetheless. We really appreciate it. And yeah. Thanks for the info. If you would like to contact us and tell us more about submarine warfare you can go to trek.fm slash contact there's a form there choose to send a show and choose standard orbit that'll come to both of us by email you can also talk to us and our other listeners at our facebook group the babel conference in social media you'll find our facebook page at facebook.com slash trek.fm and on twitter under username trek.fm mike where can people contact you directly if they agree that paul thomas anderson should be the director of star trek 3 well you can find me on twitter at uh, mumbles 3k you can also find me on Trek FM doing commentary Trek Stars with uh, John and Max, uh, where I'm sure that we will be discussing the whole Orsi situation on oh, the man. episode. Oh man, I want to be dropped. on the works of Edgar Wright outside of Star Trek if that comes to pass. If that happens, then that'll be how we end the show for sure. We were planning on ending it with the big Kurtzman Orsi arc, but I guess that's not going to happen anymore. 
Um, you can also find me on CommentaryTrackStars.com, where I do Commentary Track Stars Off Topic with Max and Brandon, where undoubtedly we will also be discussing <laughs> Orsi and uh, his lack of involvement with Star Trek, because, I mean, you know, it's the thing to talk about these days. It is a thing to talk about. And if you want to, I don't know, just talk to me on Twitter, it's 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E. And you can find me on various other podcasts around the internet and the internet at large. Yeah, you should follow Drew on Twitter because if you do, you'll find out when Anovos is uh, releasing their um, NXO1 caps and you can pre-order them as part of Tier 1 and save a, a, a nice chunk of change. So. Yes. Mike and I are Tier 1 NXO1 hat brothers. Yeah. Come July. Yep going to be awesome well before we go we'd like to ask everyone to please support our actual sponsor who helps us bring standard orbit to you each week and our sponsor for this show is audible.com audible is a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for audible's the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week from classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous star trek books like prime directive federation and spock's world audible has something for everyone mike what do you have for everyone well, I don't have a book this week. I have a radio show, um, The Bob Edwards Show, from August 23rd, 2013, in which Bob Edwards talks to Edgar Wright, Nick Frost, and uh, Simon Pegg about, well, I'm assuming the world's end primarily. It says, uh, the team behind the cult favorites Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, director Edgar Wright and actors Nick Frost and Simon Pegg, return with the last of the so-called Cornetto Trilogy, The World's End a tale of a bar crawl that unveils an alien invasion. Spoilers. Spoilers. So, yeah, if you want to kind of get a taste of who this guy is who may be making the next Star Trek movie, um, check out The Bob Edwards Show for free on audible.com since you listen to Trek FM. That's right. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook or apparently radio show yeah. of your choice, along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Standard Orbit and Trek FM. And lastly, there's another way you can keep us in orbit, and that's by supporting us on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash trekfm, you'll find a list of donation levels where you can get things like exclusive digital goodies, early access to episodes, access to our project manager, and even be listed as an associate producer on our shows. At patreon.com slash trekfm, you can also find out where the donations go, things like covering the monthly cost of hosting and distribution, hiring an editor for our shows, and upgrading our equipment. Again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm, so check it out. Next week, we'll talk about some old original series stuff, as we should. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, hey, you got you got to make note of the things which are happening in Star Trek today. We can't be all about the past, right? Even if we are right. about a show which is 50 years old. I mean, this is relevant to, to our specific show, and it's exciting. So yeah. you, you got you to touch on that stuff. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It is the will of Landrew. Mm-hmm.